What a great morning we've had so far. Such a good morning. Uh, you know, as we come each week, uh, do you come anticipating a, a, a blessing in your life? That God will bless you in some way that encourages you, that gives you hope, that gets you ready for the week ahead. That's what I come for. I come to be blessed by your presence, to be blessed by his word, and to be blessed with something that God says to me, here's something for this week. I want you to work on it. I want you to do this. I want you to have this attitude. And so that's why we come each and every week. That's the beauty of being the church coming together to be blessed by God in some unique way. Now, there are other people in the world that they don't come to church. They go and do other things because they have what they say is a system that will make them happy, that'll get them what they want. And they often go to places like Las Vegas. I got a sure system. It's going to work. You know what? I'm going to go with this amount of money, and I'm going to come back with a whole lot more. And you know those stories 99.9% of those people come back a lot less uh, wealthy than when they went because it's, the bets are always in favor of the house. The house always wins in this world. And some people, they, they think, oh, the stock market, I, I'll bet heavy on this. I, I, got, I got some inside knowledge. It's a sure thing. It's a certainty. I'm going to win on this one. And they don't. Now, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But for certain, all the time you lose when you bet on this world. But I can tell you for sure, as you look in the scriptures and you, as you understand God's heart, when you put your trust in Jesus, you always win. Eternity is yours. And so in life in general, what do we know for sure? What can we be certain of? Is there anything that we can be absolutely certain of? Because if you're like the average person, you like certainties, don't you? You love to know for sure. When we're reading through First uh, John, the five chapters, what you will discover is that the word know is found in it some 30 plus times. So do you think that's a little theme of John? And that's the, the title of our series, That We May Know. He says in several portions of 1 John, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Another spot, it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for other brothers, for our brothers. What God is communicating, has been communicating from chapter 1 to here we are in chapter 5 and the last verse, is that knowing is possible in key areas of our walk with Jesus. Having an overflow of certainty, absolute certainty about several things. And today, in this last message that I'm preaching on 1 John, what we're going to discover is that it's really, in this verse 13 to 20, a summation, a wrap-up. It's John carefully and passionately ending his message saying, let's refresh, let's go over what I've talked about. And so today, we will look at the five certainties that belong to Christians. And 
We've touched on all of them, so we won't go into great detail, but we'll go through each one. And I trust, I hope that they will be a refresher and a reminder. It will help in our understanding. It will, it will it be an encouragement to us. And mostly today that we will discover and we will be filled with a real joy because of these five certainties. And the first certainty is there is joy in the certainty of salvation. Think about it. There's joy in the certainty of salvation. First uh, John 5, 11 to 13 really says, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Do you get that? Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Here it is that you may know that you have eternal life. So today, Christian, um, if you have the Son, you have eternal life. And, and even more, that you may know. That know is a certainty, an absolute in God's heart and mind that we can be assured of our salvation. And John has been te teaching us about having the Son. Anyone who has the Son has life. We we should be joyful. We should be filled with joy thinking about that. And that when we have the Son, it's an immediate and permanent transformation. You know, it's not one of these things that um, is, just happens over time. We become a child of God immediately. We grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ over time. That's called sanctification. But we immediately, when we put our faith and trust in Christ, become a child of God. I often speak with people who don't know Jesus, uh, and I ask them, would you like to know for sure that you are a child of God? And first of all, they give me a little eyebrow raise, like, really, you can know for sure? And I say, let me take you to the Bible, because it's not my word, it's God's word, where I teach them you can absolutely know for sure. And 1 John chapter 5 is a great place to take them. Unfortunately, I also have conversations with those who claim Christ as their Savior. And I believe they're saved. And I ask them, are, uh, you know, are you sure you're going to heaven? And because they have not been really well taught, and maybe some here are even that boat, I, I ask them the same question. Are you sure you're going to be with the Father in heaven? They say, I really hope so. I love Jesus, but I hope so. And I say, listen, I want to give you some encouragement today. And I take him to 1 John chapter 5, and I run them right through this and say, you can know for certain. You can have a, a, an immense level of joy knowing for certain that you are saved. And here are the parameters of knowing you're saved. Scriptures are clear. God wants us to have a certainty in knowing we're saved. So let, me, let me make sure you really understand. First of all, eternal life is a, a present possession of every believer. If you have surrendered your heart, confessed your sin, eternal life is yours. If you look, if you got your Bibles open, just turn a page back to 1 John chapter 2, verse 25. And he says, and this is the promise he made to us, Eternal life. Eternal life is a promise, not a covenant. 
A covenant is something where usually there's two sides involved. If I do my part, God will do his part. Eternal life is a promise from God to us. And so today, Christian, just be absolutely assured that when you give your heart to Christ and he's taken your place on the cross, God's promise is sure. He says in chapter 5, verse 11, um, God gave us he, uh, eternal life. Uh, we have life in Jesus, verse 12. Uh, you, have, you have eternal life here in verse 13. So eternal life is a present possession. Of every believer. It's also eternal life is to a greater extent too also a, a future fact. It's something that we look forward to. Do you look forward to life eternal with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? And, and other believers, all the believers who've put their faith and trust in Christ. I do. I look forward to worshiping him. I look forward to being in the great celestial choir where everybody sings on perfect pitch. No squeakers. But even if there is a squeaker there, oh, it'll be great to worship together, won't it be? And of course, uh, being golf as my hobby, I'm pretty sure there's going to be some pretty awesome golf courses there, don't you? Some of you are going, that's not very spiritual, Pastor. Well, I know, but listen. Eternal life is ours now. Eternal life is ours to come. And we, we should never forget that. But also, the only way to have eternal life is through the Son. If I could say anything and stop this morning, this would be it. Stop trying to please God and working to please God, giving or doing whatever to please God. There's nothing we can do to correct the problem, the huge problem, and that problem is our sin. And the only way that sin is taken care of is by letting Jesus take our place on the cross and surrendering to him. Here in verse 12 of this uh, section it says whoever does not have the son of god does not have life do you have the son of god has he has he transformed your heart jesus said in the book of john verse uh, chapter 14 verse 6 he said i am the way the truth and the life no man comes to the father except through me do we want to have that eternal relationship with the Father, it's through Jesus. Not through a denomination, not through some church, not through any attempt to work into that relationship. It's through faith in Christ alone. For by grace are you saved through faith. Not, not of yourself, not, any, not, not of any works, but through the gift of God. Grace and faith. So, there's no doubt in this letter, John wants us to have a sense of certainty. To the one who is not yet a Christian, uh, to read more about the certainty of salvation, I would encourage you to read the Gospel of John. Read it through. Read it through, asking yourself, what does this say to me about who Jesus is and why he came? For example, John 20, verse 30, 31 now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in the book. 
But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So if you're still on that journey, a discovery, uh, trying to figure out who Jesus is and who he, what he means to you, read the book of the Gospel of John. It'll help you to discover that. A Christian, if you are still or maybe struggling with knowing with certainty that your salvation can never be taken from you, read 1 John again. Read it again, asking the question, what does Jesus say about the certainty of salvation? 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. Isn't that wonderful? Can I hear an amen? It's exciting. It's exciting. You can go into this week knowing no matter what happens, I know Jesus. He knows me. I am his, and he is mine. And whatever happens, I will be with him. There's an old commentary writer that both my wife Kathy and I, we love to read. His name is Matthew Henry. I would encourage you, if you're ever doing some Bible study, read Matthew Henry's commentary. I think you can find it. It's on the uh, web, isn't it? It's free. And this is what Matthew said. When I cannot enjoy the faith of full, a faith of assurance, I live by the faith of adherence. Let's stop and read that again. Just read it. Do you get it? When I cannot enjoy the faith of assurance, I live by the faith of adherence. I, I, I white-knuckle it with my, faith, with my um, Christian life or with my religious life. Religion is about white knuckling. I hope God will bring me into his heaven. I hope I have done enough. I hope God loves me in spite of myself. That's not what we want. We want to have the faith of assurance. There is no doubt I am a child of God. There is no doubt that I know Christ and he knows me. And maybe over the last few weeks, you've had a little bit of a mm, wondering uh, about your assurance. Maybe, maybe some things I've said have caused you to go, oh, where am I at? Maybe when I said to you, are you sure you are a Christian? Remember when I said that? I said that in love because there are too many walking into churches around the world today thinking that that's the way they become a Christian. Maybe grew up in a Christian home. Maybe they go to a church. Maybe they give money. Maybe they do things in God's name. But that is not how you know you are a Christian. It's by having Jesus. So this morning, I ask you, are you loving and living like Jesus? That's what John has spoken of. Are we sinning less than we might have a year ago because we've grown in love with Jesus more and more? Are we avoiding embracing the world around us and embracing a life on that narrow path through that narrow gate that Jesus calls us to? Does the closeness of Christ's return cause us to want to walk closer and closer with him each day? You know, Jesus is coming again. We don't talk about that enough. He could return today. He promised that he would come back for his church. Like last week, are we more overwhelmed than we are overcomers? Remember last week? We are over. All these qualities, these questions, I should say, are good. 
And we should find comfort and joy in the biblical answer. But hold on to this truth this morning. If you're truly born again, your salvation is secure. Well, there's joy in knowing the certainty of our salvation, but there's also joy in the certainty of answered prayer. A lot of people would say, eh, prayer, what does it do for me? I don't get involved in prayer because I don't really feel that it works. Well, I can tell you, prayer has always worked for me. And it doesn't matter if I tell you that. The scriptures tell you there's certainty of answered prayer. Verse 14 in 1 John 5, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. I reread that again because it's a real interesting passage. It's also a challenging passage for many of us. First thing I want to say out of this passage is, therefore, Christians pray with confidence. Pray with confidence. The second will say, Christians pray with compassion. Confidence, first of all. I love this word confidence because in the original language, it means freedom of speech. I also like this. It means cheerful courage and boldness. We can pray with cheerful courage and boldness, freely speaking to our Father, like Hebrews said, come to the throne, boldly come to the throne of grace. Out of the truth that we can know we are children of the King, there, there's no reason why we should be shy or hesitant to go to our Father. Each and every day, coming before Him saying, Father, i got to talk to you about some stuff. i got to talk to you. It says in Hebrews 10, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Is that how you draw near to the Father in prayer? An assurance of faith. Our confidence begins with the certainty that Jesus is our Savior and He is our High Priest, the one who advocates on our behalf. Therefore, we can have confidence. First of all, that He says, God hears. Isn't that wonderful? Just to know that God hears us, that it's not hitting a ceiling. God always hears a believer who comes in faith. It says, asking anything according to his will. This is a big, a big caveat here, isn't it? Something we should sit up and take note of. When we ask according to his will, it assumes that we've been born again. You know, praying to someone who you have no relationship with, it, it just doesn't go anywhere. There's the ceiling. But here it assumes that we've been born again, that we're saved. It says in John, the gospel, fifth, chapter 15, verse 7, If you abide in me and my word abides, uh, words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Isn't that isn't there joy in that certainty of prayer? So it assumes that you've been born again. 
But it assumes and means also uh, that you've confessed sin. It wouldn't have been nice at the point of our saving faith that all sin in our life was gone. Wouldn't that have been sweet? Life would, have been, would be so much easier, but that's not the case. We have a new nature. Our new nature is in Christ, but the old nature remains, and that's the battleground. And even Psalm 66, the writer says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So we need to deal with unconfessed sin. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And what? Always love to say it. Confessa. Uh, to, to um, oh, thank you. Uh, cleanse us. There's the word I was looking for. Had a, had a moment there. If we are uh, confessing our sin, he will cleanse us from our sin. Have you had a good confession session lately? Because if we want him to hear us, we must come to him first. On a heart that is bent down and lowly before him is saying, Oh Lord, I am a sinner. I need you to cleanse me. Forgive me and cleanse me. So it means confessing sin. Asking anything according to his will means we are not seeking. And this is really important. We are not seeking to gratify our own selfish desire, but seeking to align our will with God's purpose. I think I might have to say that again. It means we're not seeking to gratify our own selfish desire, but seeking to align our will with God's purposes. Number one, a most powerful aspect of powerful prayer is that we pray in submission to the will of God. When we do that, uh, we are more than liking going to see, receive what he wants, what we want. Because we don't want to pray for things that he doesn't want us to have. We won't be praying about things that eternally don't have an impact in the world around us, in our life, in our family's life. We'll be seeking to pray his mind. We will be praying scriptures. Have you ever prayed scriptures back to God? You know? Thank you, Lord. That when I confess my sin, you are faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. There it is. You can do that, eh? God loves to hear his word. It'd be great where in one week you find some scriptures that really have touched your heart. Write them out and pray them to God. Thanking him for how impactful those words have been to you. You know, Jesus gave us that wonderful prayer in Matthew 6, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His prayer was all about surrendering to God's will, his Father's will. And then Mark 14, Jesus is about to sacrifice himself for all of us. He says, Abba Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. He asked for that, that he wouldn't have to go through the pain, the torture, and the agony. But then he said, yet not what I will, but what you will. Isn't that just so amazing that Jesus gave us the example of praying the will of God? 
So not only are we to pray with confidence, we are also to pray with compassion. And this is an interesting section where it talks about if it sees anyone committing a sin, like a brother committing a sin. And I think these are challenging verses. What do they really mean? I think simply enough is that we are called upon to pray when we see a fellow follower of Jesus heading down the wrong path. If anyone sees his brother committing sin, a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. Two points I want to talk about this. One is God calls us through prayer to step into the gap Not to gossip, not to judge, and definitely not to ignore. To step in the gap for our fellow brothers and sisters by prayer. 1 John 3, verse 16, By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And yeah, maybe we don't actually lay our physical life down on the ground, but we lay our hearts on the ground for our brothers and sisters, by praying for them, knowing that life is hard. We've experienced it, and they are right now. Let's be praying for each other. And that should be, that should be an easy thing for us to do, to pray for each other. But the other challenging part is this. What is this sin that leads to death? Have you ever asked that question? What is this sin that leads to death? To death. Now, if you notice, John doesn't have to explain himself here. So I think the readers already had a good idea of what he meant in that day. So what is it? The, the sin in question may be that of uh, a non-Christian doing something that leads to eternal death. For example, uh, it, when Jesus was doing his miracles... Uh, uh, he said in uh, Matthew 12, 31 to 32, this is where he was healing the demon-possessed, blind, mute man. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were attributing this great miracle to the devil himself. This is what he said. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit, Holy Spirit, will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. So it's, it's attributing to Christ uh, the, work, the works of the devil. Secondly, the sin in question may be that of a Christian, uh, a Christian sin that is so serious that God takes his life the one who's committing this sin. You know, you remember the story uh, shortly after the church was formed and uh, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, a couple, uh, people came separately and they brought individually a certain amount of money that they had sold their properties and they were giving to the church and they said they gave a certain amount but they gave a lot less than that certain amount and basically they were again It wasn't a matter of lying to the church. It was a matter of lying to God. And so Ananias came first, and he lied to God. And God felt for whatever reason, this we don't know right now, he said, Ananias, your days on this earth are over, and he died immediately. His wife came later, same thing. She died. It seems pretty harsh, 
But God was setting an example and a tone for us as Christians. You cannot lie to God and expect to receive glory from the church for something you did in Jesus' name. And so I'm cautioned, I'm reminded, God knows every aspect of my heart, my heart, every corner of my heart, every thought I have. I need to be real with God. So, when it comes to the joy of the certainty of answered prayer, let's remember this. Never take for granted the privilege we have to be in an intimate relationship with the Father through the Son in prayer. It is an awesome privilege. Secondly, let's never take for granted the privilege we have to uphold our fellow believers in prayer and those we know who are without Christ. What a privilege we have to stand in the gap for both our family and those who are on the path. They're searching to know truth. I love what Samuel, the great prophet, said as he was ending his life. Uh, he knew it was a short amount of time left. And he was talking to the people of Israel. He said, moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. Did you catch that? Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. That's how serious Samuel felt about the power of prayer and the privilege of prayer. Another great pastor, F.B. Meyer, he said this, the greatest tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. I think it's one of the most important things we can do as Christians, both personally and in the life of the body, and that is to pray. So today, will you take some time, just a little bit of time this afternoon, sit quietly, maybe you grab your cup of tea or coffee and you sit in that really cozy chair that you love, and do this, pray for a fellow believer who's wandered. You know it. They're not in church anymore. Maybe they're a member of your family, a son, a daughter, an extended family. Pray for them today with love and grace. Also, how about praying for a person who hasn't yet chosen to give themselves to God, to surrender? Maybe they're off pursuing pleasure. Maybe they're off pursuing all that they think this world has that will bring them joy. Pray for them. Create a list and just keep them before the Lord every day. Pray for them. So there's the joy of certainty in salvation. There's joy of certainty in answered prayer. Thirdly, there's the joy of, in the certainty of victory over sin. Last week I said we are overcomers. John told us we are overcomers. And that the evil one, Satan himself, is a loser. He loses if you don't know that for sure, read the book of Revelation. Go to the, go to the last page sort of thing. You find it. He's lost the battle. And John reiterates here in verse 18, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. John's first of all saying we cannot live a lifestyle of sin and expect to enjoy a deep and intimate and rich 
relationship with Christ. Sin and closeness with Christ are incompatible. Yet the false teachers in 1 John chapter 5, those false teachers were saying, it doesn't matter if you sin. It doesn't matter if how you live. You don't have to live uh, a holy life. They're wrong. Friends, it does matter how we live. As Christians, our conduct must reflect our life in Christ. Can I get an amen for that? And I, I mean, the life in Christ is hard if we are not daily in intimate relationship with the Father because of Christ living on, the Holy Spirit living within us. Let me say it more positively because that's, that's a little bit more on a negative side. Let me say it positively. Believers who continually abide in Christ, in Him, will not persist in habitual sin. If we truly are in Christ, if we know Him and He knows us, we won't want to habitually sin. We will want a life of holiness. We will want to be more and more like Jesus. I love the fact that John tells us here uh, that Christ keeps the believer, keeps him safe from Satan. That word protects, uh, it, it literally means to guard what is owned. We are Christ's, and what he does is he protects us, he guards us. He speaks to the Father on our behalf. He looks at us as his possession. And because you and I, if you know Christ, are Christ, Satan can never have us. He can irritate us, yes. He can cause us to be distracted from the things of God, yes. But he can never have us. It says here, it does not touch him. The evil one does not touch the believer. I love what this really means. The, the, the original people in Greek, Greek is such a wonderful language. It has so many nuances. This means so clearly that Satan cannot fasten himself to us. He will never be able to cling to us because Christ dwells within us and repels Satan. Again, Highlighting, he can irritate us, he can distract us. We need to be mindful of that. But as James 4, 7 says, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There's no question what James is telling us. If we do these things of submitting and resisting, the devil has no choice. He will flee from us. He will pick on somebody that isn't being protected by God, that, uh, where he can cling on to. So let's never forget. Let's keep the armor of God on. Let's submit and resist and move forward for God's glory. As John said in 1 John 4, 4, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Remember that. 
All right. There is great joy of the certainty over the victory of sin. Number four, there is joy in the certainty of being in the family of God. Verse 19, it says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. What joy is there in knowing that we belong to the family of God? On the other side of the coin, those who aren't in the family of God uh, are under the power of the evil one. If you're born again, you're one of God's children. I think the people were hearing this, really needed to hear this. Because the world around them was pushing in on them, was starting to really take aim at the church. Christians were getting martyred and they were getting killed for their faith. And, you know, knowing you're in a family really helps to bolster your, your, uh, your heart and your mind because you know you're not alone. And those who are not in the family of God, they're blinded to the fact that Satan is controlling and influencing them. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He's blinded the minds of unbelievers. They just don't see the the greatness of who Jesus is, what he really has done for them. They need a miracle. And if you are a Christian today, let's never forget the miracle that God gave the faith that we have to each one of us. We didn't work that faith up. He gave it to us. He called us to be his son or daughter. And he took us out of a place of blindness. And so there is a joy in the certainty of being a part of the family of God. And lastly, John once again reminds us of there is joy in the certainty that Jesus is God. All of this makes no matter. It's worthless if Jesus isn't who Jesus is claiming to be. He is God himself. God who became man. Perfectly human, perfectly God, working together as one. Not two separate entities, as one. And John closes his message with the certainty of this fact. Verse 20, and we know, again, here it is, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ, He is true God and eternal life. We know Notice that the Son of God has come, who is true, and we are in him who is true. Both times, talking about Jesus being the real deal. A lot of charlatans out in the world, aren't there? A lot of people who claim to be far more than they are and want to sell you a, a bill of goods that is worthless, but costs you everything. And Jesus he didn't want to sell you anything. He wanted to give us something. And the only way that it really is worth something is the fact that he is God become man. He's authentic, genuine. And he is who he is. The true God. If you're not born again today, if you're still on that path, you're looking to find out 
You know, what does God have for my life? And you, you, you want to know. Here's one thing I want you to, to, to realize. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. You know this verse, don't you, Christians? For they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You can never understand the things of God. You have to ask the Father to open your heart, to open your mind, and to save you. And then that faith will become so real to you that you'll go, ah, now I get it. So the best thing you can do today if you're on that journey is to say to God, I'm a sinner. I surrender my life to you. Open my blinded eyes that I might see Jesus in all his glory. So today we've looked at the joy of certainty of five things. Salvation. Answered prayer. Victory. Being in God's family. The fact that Jesus is God. So I'd like to conclude just the way the Apostle John concludes verse 21. Little children, I'm including myself. Keep yourself from idols. In John's day, any moral compromise with worldly perspectives was likely to lead to some kind of pagan idolatry. It permeated the life of the community. So today, let's keep ourselves from anything that would take us from pure, undefiled love and adoration of our awesome Father, of seeking to deepen our relationship with Jesus as the Spirit of God works in our life. To know the true God eternal life who is Jesus our Lord how relevant is that to us today absolutely relevant let's pray our Heavenly Father we are so thankful that we may know thank you for allowing us the time to be in this wonderful epistle of the Apostle John and I humbly say this morning how much you've taught me personally going through this again. I pray that each one of us here would just open our hearts and our lives to the one and only true God, the Savior, Jesus Christ, and have joy of confidence and certainty in all that you've given to us in Jesus. Help us today to leave this place with great joy. May we spread that joy to all those we meet by how we act, by our attitudes, and by what we say about Jesus. And of course, we want you to receive all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.